Hello and welcome to EvilX, the expertise series from Energy Voice Out Loud. My name is Hamish Penman and I'm our digital journalist. Energy Voice is leading the global energy conversation and so I'm delighted that in this episode we're going to be talking about how developments in electrical system design are helping to tackle the challenges of wind in a paid partnership with ABB. Joining me to delve into that are Martin Shell Olson, Vice President for Offshore Power at ABB and Jesper Thompson, Director for Offshore Energy within the Energy Transition Division at Ramble. Thank you very much for joining me today, gents. I'm sure it's going to be a very absorbing chat. Uh, to kick us off, I think it would be good to address the scale of the challenge, to look at where we are now and uh, and where we need to get to. Martin, there are going to be thousands of turbines installed in the coming years, both offshore and onshore. While there are obviously a multitude of positives uh, wrapped up in that, inevitably there will be challenges, particularly for the electricity grids. What are some of the main hurdles that, that need to be cleared in the, in the coming years? Well... One is really people, I think. We have um, a finite amount of people altogether, but in particular certain engineers that are needed to design and supply the systems needed, including the uh, electrical systems to integrate all of the renewable power that will come um, on stream, right? So what I mean is that uh, you cannot just uh, squeeze more out of uh, each and every one here. Well, you could do that, but you need to look at uh, new ways of uh, working and uh, actually new ways of uh, working together. So that is what the primary reason why we have established this uh, collaboration that we have with Rumble so we can uh, get uh, more out of uh, each other when we work smartly together. So I think that is really the, one of the key challenges to get all of our great people to um, cater to this uh, industry in a more productive way. And sticking on that idea of the uh, the partnership, partnership collaboration, there are words that we kind of hear very frequently at, at conferences around the world, especially in uh, especially in the UK. Kind of words that are often flagged, but perhaps not delivered upon. But ABB and Ramble, they've they've taken a lead on this already. Can you tell us a bit about the work that you're doing together, and and what are the the ultimate aims of that? I think we've actually started uh, walking the talk and, and not only have we signed the MOU, but we are actively helping each other in for opportunities, uh, not only sharing the leads, but also bringing uh, us together in front of the clients, helping to broaden the supply chain. So we're basically trying to bring the credibility of Ramble and uh, ABB and, and the long track record and make that available for newcomers into the offshore wind industry, such as new yards that wants to develop uh, substations. So, so we are trying to pursue not only just sharing leads, but, but through the full value chain, maximizing the, the collaboration. What's the background against which this collaboration has been formed? What, is, what are the kind of building blocks for it? I think the collaboration is, is uh, you can say, driven from technical views, but also the market and, and how it's booming right now. I think uh, we see significant ambitions within offshore wind. We just had the Esberg Agreement made, uh, which calls upon uh, offshore wind in combination with energy islands. I think uh, the whole industry have to be extremely innovative and, and uh, creative to meet the climate challenge uh, so we don't run astray there. So I think I think the, the whole idea of collaborating is basically to enable uh, more productivity, uh, ramble ABB together, chasing more projects, but also spreading out and, and having a more significant impact so we play our part in, in developing the green energies going forward. 
Well, what I can say from uh, ABB point of view is that uh, we have always uh, collaborated with developers and uh, other peers in the supply chain. And we are glad that this collaboration has been established and uh, is off on a flying start uh, with Rumble. What we are set out to achieve is to... uh, create more sustainable societies in which uh, we operate. So not only uh, produce whatever we build and manufacture in a sustainable way, but uh, also enabling sustainable uh, societies, both from an energy or power point of view, but more so for the people uh, that are living there. So they can uh, enjoy uh, positive, meaningful and good lives uh, with uh, opportunities in um, any any directions that uh, they would like to go, right? So that is really the end goal. And uh, if we can do that in um, more um, areas, uh, the better. And this is uh, one that we are very glad to have uh, established. And Martin, what is the ABB and Ramble partnership aiming to achieve? What's kind of the ultimate objective and what skills are you both bringing to the table that are going to be complementary um, and, and perhaps kind of what, what have you worked on already together that, that's a good um, example of where this is going? The intention is not to step on it, each other's toes. Uh, obviously, we do have uh, complementary capabilities in certain areas. There is no doubt about that. But it's not the point here to have a fight about that it's rather to put the best people to the job and in some cases those uh, people for a given uh, task at hand will come from uh, rumble and in some other cases they might come from abb what we have done is to look at the roadmap of all the components that you need to uh, design and uh, build an offshore substation and then map out who from the beginning, do we think it makes most sense uh, to assign uh, to the job? That could be Rumble or that could be uh, ABB. So we have a pretty good starting point where we, uh, or an idea for what we consider the, the best split of responsibilities. However, that is not written in stone. We are going into this with uh, great uh, flexibility, really. So for a project in Korea, as one example, the setup might be uh, such, whereas it might be slightly different if uh, if it's a project uh, in Norway, uh, just to give an example. But we, we have prepared this map. So we say, for example, on the design of the electrical system overall, ABB will be responsible for that. Whereas Rumble, which is great legacy in uh, doing designs of structures for uh, offshore application, be it offshore substations for wind, be it oil platforms, what have you, that is the core of what ABB, now what Rumble brings uh, into this. So from a top line, that, that's clear. But we are flexible on how we work together. So again, it's really to optimize that from uh, project to project so we can get the most of our teams together. And yes, but from from Rumble's point of view, what's your pedigree looking like in the renewables industry? Is this, it seems like something you've been in for, for quite a while. We, we have indeed. We are very active within uh, offshore wind. We are, in fact, the, the leading design house within the foundations, and we've been active in, in offshore substations since 2005 with a very, very strong track record and, and credibility within the scene. We're also taking up uh, the new challenges with offshore hydrogen and, and energy storage in general. And again, here, I think the collaboration with ABB enables uh, 
you can say the synergies and making the one plus one equal three. So, so really pleased about that. And Martin, how do you think the industry can better kind of foster collaboration between companies? Because it's a, like I said earlier, it's something that's so often talked about, but it, it perhaps isn't delivered on the scale that um, that is hoped or, or promised. And but you obviously, with you taking um, taking a lead on this, you've kind of shown a way of how to do this. How do you think that the other companies can learn from this? It's really up to them to embrace it. I would say the, our message to the market uh, is that. Uh, we are ready to work together in a more open way. I would like to give you one example from uh, the Norwegian continental shelf, really, where um, one company, be it uh, Aker BP, are executing their projects in an alliance uh, fashion. So um, where they pre-qualify certain key vendors and everybody sits together in the room from the beginning sharing their thoughts on uh, design, etc., to progress the project into uh, the uh, final uh, investment decision, whereby target price cost schedule is established. And then you work together to uh, meet those uh, criteria. And if you perform better, everybody shares the gain and vice versa, if hopefully not. But if you miss uh, some of the target, you also share uh, the pains. So um, our message again to the market, we are ready to uh, engage with more developers in a similar fashion where you really move from um, a transactional way of working to a collaborative one. It requires trust. If you don't trust each other, you won't open up. But um, it's a little bit chicken uh, and egg as well, because if you start to share more, you also gain more trust. So in summary... Uh, we are open to work more openly with uh, more developers. Absolutely. And it sounds like this collaboration is kind of uh, partnership is coming to the market at exactly the right time. We've got big offshore wind developments coming up in Scotland and towards the end of the decade, I believe Norway has just launched its um, offshore wind leasing round as well. There's this kind of momentum that's been talked about for a while is now building substantially. How exciting an opportunity is that? Is that for for both companies? And and are you kind of are you looking at this on a global scale, Jesper? Kind of both sides of the North Sea. It is indeed very exciting, and we are looking at it globally. We are in fact collaborating quite a bit in in Asia, but also in Europe, and and are looking at at, at the US as well. So overall, the, the market is booming, and it, it's super positive. But it also brings the challenges in the supply chain where the collaboration and the trust and the sharing actually could uh, enable more throughput there. Sure, and we'll come on to those supply chain matters a, a little bit later on because there's a lot to dig into there. But let's just look at the point of um, standardization of, of techniques for, for a minute. There seems to be a lot of kind of different companies and individuals trying to solve a lot of the problems that offshore wind is encountering, and that kind of delivers a, a range of a range of different solutions. And while we don't want to quell innovation, it seems like if there's a, a good one out there, then perhaps everyone should use it. How much is, should standardization be a, a thing that that wind developers and and supply chain should be looking to to really nail right now? Uh, hopefully, uh, a lot. <laughs> I give you one example. Uh, so. Uh, a motor is a motor. However, I've uh, supplied uh, motors to offshore applications in the past, and uh, the very same motor uh, could, would cost uh, three or four times uh, more than uh, the same one for an application uh, for some industry onshore. 
part of the um, cost add-on was, of course, you have to marinize and do some stuff to make it fit for purpose in uh, the North Sea. However, more than uh, 60% of the cost add-on was actually due to special requirements on instrumentation or if the panel uh, for the auxiliary should sit on the left or the right or the top or the bottom, right? Which, which was different from company to company. So when you then go to a factory to uh, buy that motor, they don't really like it because they have to take it out of the standard production line and uh, treat it very manually from uh, yeah, cradle to grave, really, because it also affects uh, how you then uh, service uh, these type of things. So I think uh, the uh, offshore wind industry should be open to best practice from other industries and also look from uh, project to project, but also across developers, if there are component pieces that uh, can be standardized. And uh, now most foundations, both for turbines and substations, are bottom fixed. However, as uh, winds are uh, more uh, forceful and stable uh, further ashore, uh, then the water also is deeper. So um, uh, there will be the emergence of uh, floating turbines and floating substations. So we are both engaged uh, in the standardization work uh, for floating offshore substations, which really, we believe, will be key to make that the sub-segment of the offshore wind industry also cost competitive compared to uh, other options. So uh, that was a long way of saying that uh, standardization is uh, really important because you, you don't really compete uh, between developer to developer. You also compete with uh, fossil uh, fuel generated electricity, right? And you compete with... Uh, uh, other types of uh, renewable energy and you uh, compete with the climate in essence because uh, pace matters and if you standardize you will also uh, not only do it more cost efficient you can also um, integrate more clean power faster absolutely and sticking on that that cost points um Floating wind specifically, is there are big drives at that to get the cost of floating wind down to to speed up that deployment that we're going to need. How key will standardization be in, in bringing down the cost of specifically floating? And kind of a, as an aside to that, when, you, when you're developing these these offshore substations and the like, what, what challenges do perhaps floating turbines throw up that fixed bottom don't, I suppose? Yeah, I, I think there's uh, some few key elements. A lot of it is is basically the same. Uh, I think we have the the motion from uh, being uh, on a floater, and we have the flexing uh, because of the rigidity of the structure. So um, it poses some challenges on on the gis uh, with respect to integrity. So we need to understand more how much flexing is is required. We can always make it extremely stiff, but on the other hand, the more stiff, uh, the more steel. So there's a cost element to that. Then there's the whole aspect of the acceleration towards the electrical equipment and how that influences that. We need to tackle that. And then there's uh, quite a bit of work still to be done for for the uh, array cables and the export cable with the dynamic cables and and tension in the hangoff, uh, the deeper the water. So I think I think we're coming uh, into the matters, but I think uh, quite a bit of work is still uh, required to establish this uh, going forward. 
Of course, and there, there is a drive to make, ensure that there is as much growth in the uh, the offshore wind sector as possible and the onshore wind sector. But we talked about um, standardization and collaboration of two, as two ways of, of helping to achieve that. There are obviously others. I mean, for example, how do you think government can help? Yes, but let's come to stick with you on this. How do you think government can help to, to continue the um, the accelerated drive of, of winds deployment? Oh, I think that's that's a, a tricky one. I think at the end of the day, the the way it's uh, sent out to auction, uh, whether it's uh, pure price or there's innovation involved and 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 various uh, support schemes of of the local uh, communities, is of course very important. But going back to to the floating uh, substation and the technical aspect, I think uh, Martin touched upon it uh, before when he made the invitation for for open collaboration. I think there's a lot of trust issues here. I think the vendors have to share. Uh, between uh, themselves and and the engineering and and the developers i think i think it's not so much the government here as the supply chain that has to to trust each other and be open and and share the experience uh, throughout this uh, development phase yes we so we are not here um uh, to tell uh, governments uh, what to do but uh, uh, from a perspective of global uh, technology companies such as ABB what we do welcome is uh, predictability and stable regulatory framework so um, you know our headquarters is in uh, Switzerland right and uh, our legacy is from the forests of Sweden and uh, Switzerland so we we are a little bit uh, conservative in many ways and uh, we do not take extreme risks. And our investment uh, decisions uh, are based on, uh, obviously, what we think the future will look like. So that is coming back to governments. Uh, rather than telling them that it should be like this or like that, they can decide a way and then stick to the way. And then um, companies and the supply chain will of course be flexible and make their uh, investments decision to um, embark on that uh, journey and way uh, that uh, the particular government is uh, sketching out. But I think uh, predictability and a clear plan for the future for any given market is uh, what we would uh, welcome really much uh, be coming from the supply chain uh, thing. Absolutely. And do you, do you think a kind of a lack of capacity in, in, in the system compared to the, the level of ambition that's been shown from wind developers and from governments as well to, to scale up? Is that going to be a head saw that, that emerges in the coming years? And, and how do you think we, we solve this, Martin? Sure, there is a lack of uh, capacity in uh, many, many ways. Uh, now, the four uh, Northern European uh, countries just a uh, few weeks ago uh, announced their ambitions to add 150 gigawatt of power from uh, offshore wind, right? And then you could just uh, divide the, <laughs> the, those gigawatts with the number of years and uh, you will understand how much high voltage cable you will need to uh, connect that to the grid those factories that can make those cables, they do not exist, right, today. <laughs> so that is, uh, that is one challenge. Those uh, engineers that you would uh, need to design all of those projects, they also do not exist. So um, for one, you have to look at alternative ways of uh, moving these uh, energies uh, from offshore to a consumer. That could be other energy carriers. For example, hydrogen, as uh, Jesper alluded to, 
But uh, first and foremost, uh, it's about uh, collaboration, not only between um, Rumble and ourselves, which we have established, but between developers and between developers and suppliers. So we all go about this uh, next couple of hundred gigawatts in a smarter way together. And that needs to happen across borders as well. I mean, with ABB and, and Rumble having footprints in so many different locations, Jesper, is that is that a massive help in um in terms of trying to kind of push along this um this kind of collaboration framework across across countries? I believe it is indeed, and I think the whole transition we've been through with the, with COVID and and working remote enables even more collaboration across. and And we are using heavily uh, all offices uh, throughout uh, Rambo to to actually support this. And I think it's important, as as Martin said, there is there is a need for for engineers, and basically there's a there's a fight for talent, and I think. Uh, collaboration can solve that instead of moving employees from one company and back again uh, over and over. Sure, just to stick on that point of um, the fight for talent for very quickly, do you think the industry is um, doing a good enough job of attracting new talent into it? Is there enough willing graduates and the like coming into the renewables industry or perhaps for many companies, if they've still got the oil and gas tag, is that? do you think that might be putting people off? No, I think it's uh, quite, I wouldn't say easy, but... Um, Young engineers are very interested in working with uh, renewable uh, power and renewable energy uh, systems, right? So that, that is, that is uh, without a doubt. The challenge is more that there are too few of them. So uh, we, we, of course, uh, encourage uh, educational institutions, collaborate with them to establish research programs and uh, help fund in whatever way we can, as do our peers in the industry. But uh, I, I see it changing and I see also, uh, which is important, more diversity in uh, what is coming out of these uh, engineering schools. I mean, uh, uh, I'm not young, I'm not that old either, uh, hopefully, depending on the eye that is looking. <laughs> but uh, when I was uh, uh, in university now, a uh, little over 20 years ago, it was less diverse than uh, today, which is good. Uh, so that that is a strength. And uh, uh, engineers would like to work in renewable energy, but uh, the amount uh, of engineers coming out is not high enough if we are to um, tackle uh, and uh, meet all these very ambitious targets that the governments and um, others are setting. Definitely. There are a number of initiatives looking to, to try and solve that. So hopefully they are that will be a problem that will be addressed in, in the coming years. But we mentioned the, the capacity issue and and, and the, the impact that could have on, on offshore wind deployment, especially at the scale that's being demanded. The supply chain obviously have a huge part to play in that, really underpinning everything that kind of goes on, I suppose, at a, as, at a top level. We've seen kind of during COVID with the recent invasion of Ukraine, how, how quickly the supply lines can be impacted. What, local content, how big a part is that going to play in ensuring that targets can be hit? Oh, that, that's a, yeah, I think that's the million dollar question you're, <laughs> you're posing there. I, I think uh, to some extent, uh, local requirements may actually work against uh, optimizing the supply chain, uh, whereas in, in others it could be beneficial. So I think... Uh, I think we're in for a bumpy ride with the raw materials going up. Uh, I think developers will see less predictability of, of prices and, and costing uh, going forward. Um, 
of course, we need to have the new people coming in, and 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 each country has to also develop their own uh, supply chain to to some extent. But but there could be cases of uh, quite some bottlenecks uh, created through the uh, local requirements. I agree fully, and um, of course, you will have uh, certain types of uh, factories uh, here and there, and there will be investment in. Uh, new production capacity in um, markets uh, where demand is growing. That's just uh, the law of physics uh, in in working, right? It will happen. But um, if you take an analogy from uh, robotics, you could think about it uh, a little bit uh, on a bigger scheme. Because if you install, for example, a welding robot in a car manufacturing line, you will uh, remove three welders on average by one uh, industrial robot, right? So you you remove some jobs, right? But you actually create uh, three times more jobs than those uh, that you removed. But they will be a little bit uh, different type of jobs. They will be perhaps um, robotic uh, technicians and engineers, uh, etc. and so on. So this is how you also have to look at the uh, local uh, content versus local value creation, which are a little bit uh, hand in hand, but also somewhat different. If you have a market and you integrate X amount of uh, gigawatts renewable which is cleaner and uh, hopefully more cost efficient that will create value uh, to that society and that value will in the end also create opportunities uh, for people and jobs so the jobs in uh, offshore wind will not be equally created in all markets where you uh, integrate more offshore wind however the value for those societies will be very high. So you have to think about it uh, like that. It will not make sense to build up, uh, for example, a power transformer factory in every given location. So my point is, think about it a little bit more like local value creation, more than uh, local job creation in this specific segment. Sure, and that really hammers home the need for, for cross-border collaboration to ensure that all these parts are moving in the same direction. And and our focus here, and I'm sure it's the same across Europe, is making sure that when this energy transition happens or when it's delivered, it comes with the green jobs and perhaps a new kind of industry for, for many folk that, that have been lost in the last few decades. Is that how cognizant are you, or how are both companies of ensuring that, that well-paid kind of secure jobs are there for, for the next generation to come. Yes, but Ramble, how much is how much is that a focus of how you go into your operations? I, I think it's a strong focus and I think uh, the, the division that I represent, the energy transition is in fact or in fact a, a merger of uh, the legacy oil and gas division and, and power generation where we are now uh, transitioning the people within the oil and gas, uh, maintaining all on board, but uh, bringing the new skills, making sure that that we are ready to cope with transition, and also that we have the experienced people and and capabilities to train the new people, so we can continue uh, existing in this field and in the local communities we are uh, operating in. 
Definitely. And, and it seems like a lot of the focus is always on the manufacturing of turbines, for example, because that yields hundreds of jobs. But from what you've been saying, Martin, there's also countless jobs wrapped up in the, the kind of finer nitty gritty details of these, like, such as the substations and, and, and that real technical work. Do, do you think more focus needs to be given to that, perhaps? Yeah, that, that could be. But I would like to repeat my point of... Um local value creation because uh, not all jobs uh, that will be created will come from uh, manufacturing or engineering elements that uh, particularly go into the substation or the turbine whatever for example if you uh, integrate uh, more renewable power uh, to a market that could be used for example to electrify the uh, vehicle fleet in that country, creating opportunities uh, for companies to attend to that. You could potentially create a battery factory. You see now in Sweden, there is not really any turbine uh, manufacturing uh, in Sweden, but you have a lot of onshore wind, uh, which partly will feed uh, gigafactories uh, for battery cells that will go into uh, um, electrical vehicles, for example, right? So Sweden is taking this uh, approach of, yes, uh, they uh, will uh, be welcoming a lot of wind power, both onshore and offshore eventually, but not necessarily creating a supply industry to... Um, to making that stuff, but uh, rather uh, enabling other industries to electrify and uh, making some output uh, that is powered from the wind, right? So that's my um, that's my really point there. L look upon the value creation uh, more broadly than just uh, job creation. I think the whole topic around offshore wind enabling the green transition with with uh, hydrogen as a starting and in the whole. Uh, power to X, uh, but also e-methanol and other fuels uh, coming along. I think wind offers uh, the solution for taking it to the next step, uh, transitioning the whole energy uh, usage in, in society and, and how we transmit that. That's great. And, and just because I think it would be a really nice point to finish on and kind of loops in nicely. Well, how does the, this MOU, this collaboration between Rumble and ABB, how does that kind of create this value, the value creation in countries, be it Sweden, be it Norway, be it Scotland? How are you kind of working together to ensure that that these areas are are benefiting from the from the work that's um, that's taking place in it, from the, the offshore wind work that's going on? I'm not a lawyer, right? But uh, I've seen agreements, MOUs, whatever. In, in essence, they are a piece of paper with a signature on them. That is creating no value uh, on its own right. So it's just a catalyst for people to meet, start to talk, etc. So now... Uh, Jesper and uh, myself, I mean, uh, we, we were already talking, but uh, now when we established uh, the MOU, more people in both organizations are talking together and meeting. Uh, so it, it's not a finished formula for what we will do. It's a framework and a basis uh, or a catalyst for more interaction. And out of more interaction, opportunities will arise and we can create value together and we can help our uh, clients in the end in a, in a faster and better way. That, that's the intention more than the piece of paper in itself. And yes, but with that base to now build from, where, where do you go from here? Where, do, where does Ramble and AVB kind of take this collaboration um, into the future and, and, and into the kind of coming decades? I think now we've taken some very important steps and, and, and uh, Martin mentioned that we are trying to, to set up a, a constellation also in, in South Korea. So I think we will uh, 
follow the opportunities uh, with the wind. I think we will uh, use this uh, globally. I think we will see it transition into, as I said, the power to X uh, and, and different other topics. Uh, I think it's already been a catalyst for bringing in uh, other types of work uh, on, on offshore substation as an example. And there will be uh, people reaching each other to see, uh, we have this opportunity. Do you have any expertise there? So I think we will see it grow and uh, I would actually hate to to set boundaries for it, but but hope that it would uh, take its own life and and develop from here. Definitely, I think that's a really kind of nice kind of poignant point to finish on. I mean, to see kind of these collaboration models start to take shape after so much kind of rhetoric around them is is a real it's real heartening, I suppose. Um, and and hopefully they kind of will deliver um, everything that has been promised from them and I'm sure that they will. So, I mean, thank you very much, Martin. Thank you very much, Jesper, for joining me today. That was absolutely fascinating. We've picked apart a lot of points there and there's a lot of reflections there to, to take away. Um, if you've got any thoughts about uh, today's episode, you can get us on social at Energy Voice News on Twitter. And if you want to drop us an email, it's outloud at energyvoice.com. If you want to be part of the conversation and share your story with the energy industry, you can also email outloud at energyvoice.com too. Uh, don't forget about our regular weekly news episodes where the teams pick apart the stories of the week. I've been Hamish Penman. Thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.